to Learning Now Radio, bringing you the best news, views and interviews from the team that brings you Learning Now TV. This is Learning Now Radio. On this episode of Learning Now Radio, I'm delighted to introduce Bianca Woods, and I'm sure for many of our listeners, this isn't the first time you're being introduced to Bianca, because I would regard her as one of the most generous people in the Learning and Development Network, generous with her time in terms of providing insightful blogs, articles, and also being a fantastic speaker on the topic of visual design and creativity and learning. Now, as a trained artist, but a learning development professional of many years experience, it's this intersect that I'm really interested in. And I know that Bianca is particularly passionate about this and introducing these concepts to those that may not come from an art or visual design background. And it's the importance of this subject and Bianca's a drive to share this with the community that's been recognised by the eLearning Guild. So as well as her private consultancy practice in the field, Bianca is also working with the Guild to weave these subjects and many others on the future of learning into the agenda of programmes in the coming years. So Bianca, thank you so much for joining us on Learning Now Radio. Thanks for inviting me. So I wanted to get straight in with a real hot topic because this is almost a sort of a hot off the press, Bianca, really, um, from a, the Learning Live event in the UK that's recently been held. And they were fortunate enough to have Elliot Maisie as one of their keynotes. And uh, as you know, you know, Elliot is uh, as interested in the future of learning as he always has been and is always incredibly passionate about technology, uh, is um, very human in the way that he talks about the industry, but is often quite challenging as well. And one of the areas that I thought was really interesting is he was talking about the future of instructional design and the fact that actually rather than instructional design being the core skills, now we're looking for people that can create really effective learner experiences. So learner designers that are, are orchestrating lots of different skills to bring about the best learning solution, not necessarily just a program. And I know your passion is in visual design. And I'm particularly interested myself in UX and those types of um, lessons that we can bring through to the learner experience. So from your perspective, Bianca, where is the industry going? Is Elliot right? And what element does visual design play in this whole mix? Uh, I'm going to thoroughly agree with Elliot in the fact that that is the direction it's, uh, the industry is going. I don't necessarily think that's a new thing. Uh, I came at instructional design from a, a rather odd perspective. I originally trained as an art teacher, so I was a classroom teacher and I taught art. Uh, and then I went back to school to learn to be an instructional designer. And uh, the course I took, or the, the program I took, it's a mouthful. It's instructional design or Educational Media Design and Technology, which sounds like a lot, but it's all about using uh, media and design to help people learn things in better ways. And so I started off as an instructional designer with that being my background. And so my perspective has always been, this isn't about just creating a, a bland experience where we shove as much information into a person as possible, but it is all about the experience and media and visual design and user interface design, user experience design, all of that plays a part. I think 
more people in our industry are starting to realize that that's something they need to be on top of. And I'm seeing a lot of people who wouldn't necessarily even consider themselves designers or uh, user interface designers or uh, media designers starting to put their toe in that and realize that to stay on top of the industry, this is a place they need to play in. Oh, sorry, Bianca. (laughs) No, go and carry on. I will say this. Instructional design or learning design is a really broad field. I don't think it's something that everyone can become an expert in every aspect of, but at least knowing enough to be dangerous or knowing enough to have a good conversation about things like visual design, user experience design, uh, can do a lot to help you succeed in those areas. And I think you've picked up on an absolutely crucial point there. Um, And it's this this word I sort of go back to of orchestration, because we could be having a parallel conversation here, Bianca, really about data and about data science and data analytics and the future of learning um, as it will play out in organisations being um, perhaps more empowered with tools like IBM Watson, being able to um, trawl huge amounts of data and using algorithms to serve up uh, perhaps more personalized learning, and then us be able to um, look at that data and draw conclusions from it. It all feels a bit overwhelming. If I'm not an artist, or I'm not a visual designer, you know, no, no, I'm not a graphic designer. If I'm also not a data scientist, this all starts to feel like, well, you know, where do I hang my hat? But you're absolutely right. That's the point. It's about understanding the tools that we have at our disposal, and also understanding when we hand off to an expert. Yeah, I think the handoff is really important, or at least go to someone else for help. I know a lot of people are one-person shops or are dealing with a very small company, but even if you can have a good conversation about a topic and recognize when you need to reach out to potentially someone that you know in the industry outside your company for assistance... Uh, that's an amazing skill to have. And I think if you're finding it overwhelming to try and learn everything about everything, um, stepping back and at least knowing enough to have conversations and building your network so you have a support system can do a lot to make it less frightening. And so if you were obviously advising, let's take two different scenarios. You're advising a learning development um, team, perhaps a head of learning, a CLO, and you're saying, okay, if you're going to build the capabilities that you need, you're going to um, form the team around you. What types of skills do you think that perhaps some organizations are missing and that's actually having an impact on the impact of learning? I think the visual design is something that I see people struggling with because we have very few people in our industry that come from any kind of visual design background. Uh, And it's interesting, art and visual design is one of those things that sometimes like math, people have this emotional um, reaction of, oh, I just can't do that. And so people um, don't spend as much time trying to build that skill as perhaps they could. And so that's become a hole in our industry. It's interesting. I I feel like sometimes people are more willing to experiment with media than they are with just straight up visual design. Like we've seen a lot of people in our industry pick up smartphone cameras and just start shooting videos. And it's been amazing. So I, I feel like I'd like to see more people doing that with visual design, which is probably why I talk about it so much and try and make it accessible. Um, And uh, user interface is, I think, and something that maybe not a lot of people in our industry know about, but it has so much in common with what we're doing. 
So where would people start then? Is it because I think you've picked up on the crucial point. You're absolutely right. Math and art. They are the two things that, you know, I um, was only talking to actually Don Taylor of the LPI at Learning Live, talking about an incredibly embarrassing moment at a conference where I don't even know why I was trying to do this, Bianca, but I was trying to draw a unicorn and I drew the horn of the unicorn at the wrong angle. And you have no idea how awful and embarrassing that looks. I know it's only a small thing, but I've obviously carried that with me because that was over a decade ago. <laughs> so, so that hang up of, oh, I just can't draw. Or, and, and then the extrapolation of if I can't draw, I clearly know nothing about visual design. But, but actually, I, I find the, the field fascinating and I do experiment it with, with it all the time and experiment with different tools that make it easier and kind of give you some design parameters if you don't know what, what they are. Um, there's tools I've tried, but I'd love to hear how you get people started that don't come from an art background. Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing that I like to tell people is art isn't this inherent skill that you're born with. It's something that everyone who is good at it has spent a lot of time working to hone that skill. Now, that's work that you don't necessarily see when you see their end product and it looks beautiful and you see something that you've drawn and you're like, well, that unicorn's horn isn't right. Uh, but there's, there's a lot of work behind the scenes. Uh, another thing is that as much as it takes a lot of work to build those skills, there are a lot of tips and tricks that can help you get past that awkward stage to something that doesn't hurt your eyes when you look at it. Um, a lot of the things that I talk about in some of my design sessions are really simple things that anyone can learn how to do quickly so that you see an immediate impact in your work. And seeing a quick change and a quick improvement helps build your confidence. Uh, for things like graphic design, I think building those quick skills is a lot easier for people in our industry. So things like making sure your text is all aligned, using a simple color palette, uh, using a grid for layout, um, how to choose really great images. Those things are simple for someone to, to learn how to do if they feel really uncomfortable with visual design. And it's one of those things where it's an it's immediate jump in the final product. And it's not as polished as someone who's a trained graphic designer, but it's something I think most people in our field could feel really proud of creating and could potentially make them feel empowered to keep working on that skill. And I, I think in the you know plethora of media that people are subjected to, and you know even watching my my daughter uh, edit videos with you know simple video editing software that's out there now, and being able to add her own animations and titles, etc. It's interesting actually seeing how that shift is is happening, and even her expectation of media. I can see it's different, and I think that's one of the things that. Um, it's really dangerous to underestimate the immediate visual impact. Of course, the learning need is vital and it's got to be aligned to a business need. It's got to be something that's important. You know, we've had lots of episodes of Learning Now Radio talking about aligning to the business, making sure that what you're providing as a learning and development team is relevant and will impact the bottom line. But the point is, you've got to get attention in the first place. And although the learning has got the learning and the content, the quality of the content's got to be really good. If you think about the competition for our eyes and attention these days, I, I, I just don't think you can ignore this. I agree entirely. People's expectations of design are incredibly high, and it's because you're exposed to examples of great design all around you every day. 
advertisements, magazines, books, commercials, videos. Even if you're not a trained designer, you're used to what good design looks like. And so even if you can't articulate what makes a good design, you know it when you see it. And unfortunately, this translates to in our field, if people see something that's poorly designed, they will make some assumptions about the quality of the content as well. And we'd never want someone to judge our content as lesser quality just because they feel the visual design isn't up to snuff, but it happens. Oh, of course. Absolutely. I mean, you know, for any listeners that are old enough to remember kind of, you know, GeoCity sites and Alta Vista and that kind of thing. You know, the point is now, if you want to set up a website, even if you know absolutely nothing about uh, web development, if you went onto a tool like Squarespace, they've already thought about things like the golden rule and being able to lay out and they almost have, okay, there's, there's a restriction inherent in it, but they've thought about the palette, the fonts, the alignment, so that the output that you have, okay, you know, there's a lot more refinement that you can do, but instantly it takes you to a different space. And that's what people expect, even in the most basic or your, you know, your, your round the corner, like say one man band business, even they have to compete in a visual space. So for learning um, and retention, that's got to be incredibly important. And in fact, on, on that note, in terms of making the, the uh, learning memorable and helping it stick, from your perspective, obviously you've been trained in art and then moving through to learning. What sort of differences do you see that making? I think visuals can do a lot to make things easier to understand, simple to understand and and honestly easier to remember. Um, what I find is really interesting is the way that you can use images and icons and iconography to call out key aspects of what you're trying to communicate. So if someone does a quick scan of a page, you know, in an ebook or e-learning, they can immediately see, okay, what's the key point? And having those visual reminders uh, does make things more memorable. And what's also interesting is, honestly, there's just some content that is easier to understand through an image or an icon. And if you can take some of your text and look for the stuff that works better as an image and leverage that aspect, it pairs down your content, which is always great for your audience. And it also explains it in a way that's simpler and easier to grasp. Okay, then, Bianca, well, I'm going to set you the challenge now. You're working with uh, a subject matter expert or something that's developed a script. They love their script, Bianca. They love everything that they've put in there. Every word is a labor of love and every single word is important. And anybody here that's worked with content before knows where I'm going with this. You have to have that conversation about less is more because for them, you know, especially if you are a uh, if you're, you're a presenter or you're a, tra- a trainer in the kind of workshop or classroom sense, where it's about the stories that you tell and it is about the narrative. And let's say in the end, you've got an emotional connection to every single word you've given to somebody to turn into content. Everything's important. You don't cut anything, Bianca. Every single syllable is important. How do you have that kind of conversation to be able to transform that? Because like you said, from the audience perspective, they don't care. They want it. They want it memorable. They want it impactful. It's a hard conversation. I, I'm going to admit it's it's one that throughout my whole career I've struggled with. And I know that I've talked to lots of other people who have had similar issues where 
um, you have an idea for making things better for um, the end user and your subject matter expert or whoever's a startup person wants it to be the way that it's always been. One of the things that I've personally found really successful is showing examples of what it could look like. Um, it's very hard with things that are uh, visually based to get people on board if you're just talking it through. For instance, uh, in my last role, one of my first uh, tasks on that was to help um, a presenter who was typically doing very, very dense uh, text-heavy slides, uh, help her move to lighter slides and uh, a pre-read. And so she was sort of used to giving very, very dense text as the pre-read as well. And we were talking about, well, could we change that to an, a very visual ebook? And she really, in the initial discussion, didn't quite even know what I meant. And so she reacted, not poorly, but not enthusiastically either. And so I, pu I put together a proof of concept for her. It wasn't the whole thing. I didn't want to invest that much time in something she might say no to, but it was a few sample pages of her work as an ebook, uh, where I'd lightened the text, where I'd used visuals to explain things instead of just text, uh, where I had done stuff with formatting to make the text that was there easier to read and easier to remember. And by coming to her with this proof of concept, she went, oh, that's what it could be, and was much more on board from that point. It's not a guarantee that it will always work, unfortunately, but I do find it helps conversations. Oh, I think that's a really important takeaway, actually, Bianca, because I think it will help people in their roles, either as independent learning designers or within organisations, because I think it's factoring in that proof of concept stage is really important because it can actually be even for internal audiences, that time invested can be a bit of a hard sell. But you're right, we're selling a visual concept. You need the visuals. <laughs> It, it, it really, people react very poorly if you're trying to explain it. And while having a proof of concept isn't a guarantee, at least they can wrap their head around that. Uh, the person I was working with on this project, she, when I was talking about an ebook, she really couldn't picture it in her head. And that's, she eventually told me that's why she was having trouble saying yes to the concept. But as soon as I showed her something, she went, oh, okay. And uh, exactly so, because uh, the thing is, you know, it's practice what you preach, isn't it? If we're talking about visuals being so important, yes. then, then that's the way that we've got to sell the concept. So on that then, Bianca, if people are thinking, OK, well, I, I you know, I inherently I, I understand this, but I, it isn't a space that I have played in before. Where would you get them to start? Uh, there's a couple really interesting ways that I, I recommend Um First are a couple of books that I think are really fantastic for helping someone who is new to design and doesn't really understand design terminology and may even have some anxiety about figuring this out. I'm helping them get started. Um, one is Presentations and Design. Uh, it's by Gar Reynolds who wrote a really wonderful book on presentation called Presentations and. And his approach to design is very simple. He does an amazing job of explaining it in ways where if you're not a designer, it still feels easy to understand. And he uses a whole bunch of visual examples in his books, which make this so much easier. Uh, another really good book, uh, if you're feeling a little more advanced than that, but still in the newbie stage, is White Space is Not the Enemy. It's another thing that is very, very accessible, designed for people who are not trained designers, uh, will help you get up to speed 
really fast in a way that feels less stressful than sort of a graphic design book designed for people with a graphic design training might be. As well, another thing that I recommend for people who want to build their design skills but aren't sure where to start is there are a lot of really fantastic apps for smartphones and for tablets that much like the Squarespace uh, website that you mentioned, um, give you constraints, but those constraints can help you build your uh, design skills, almost like training wheels, where it's very hard to make something that's ugly because of those constraints. And it's a good way to start building your skills in design as well as your confidence. So um, just trying to think off the top of my head, uh, the app Paper by 53 is a drawing app that actually does some sort of quick tweaks of the lines that you draw and makes them look a little bit more polished, a little bit straighter, and makes it easy to draw something digitally that feels pretty good, that you can feel more confident in. Um, there are apps like Assembly, which allows you to create icons with basic shapes. Personally, I also use, and this is gonna sound really weird, PowerPoint for creating basic icons because it has all these pre-created shapes that you can meld together. And you can create something that's very visually attractive very easily, even if you're not super confident with art skills. And I notice as well, Bianca, for um, for the Guild, in fact, thinking of uh, the DevLearn coming up and asking speakers to develop uh, short videos, that you were using Spark to do that. Yes, Adobe Spark. I'm still not used to calling it Adobe Spark because it was Adobe Voice, I think, before that. That's um, right, it's a, yeah. Yeah, it's this fantastic video storytelling tool. I cannot recommend it enough. It's probably the app that I use the most these days for creative things. And what it does is it creates little animated um, videos and it walks you through the process of choosing images. It has a bank of free images and icons that you can use as well, which is great if you have no budget. Uh, it walks you through the process of recording directly into the video. It has pre-created um, backgrounds and transitions and even background music, and it's all free. It is an amazing tool. You can create something that looks incredibly polished very quickly and something that has a really great design aesthetic because of the limitations of the tool. And what I love as well is it forces you to be concise. Not something that I'm always particularly good at. I'll, I'll throw my hands up there. But it, because uh, I, I love the fact that as you're um, creating the slides as well, you kind of get the Warner, the, the waffle Warner, uh, yes. as I call it. That basically is about eight seconds in. It says, you know, come on, wrap it up, be a bit more concise. And it helps you hone into the, well, actually, what is the point I'm trying to make right now? Mm-hmm. I, I love that. It, it, it gently shames you into being a little quicker and more concise. Uh, another thing that's really great with it is it also has uh, storytelling coaching in it as well. I mean, you can create a story from scratch, but it also has um, sort of pre-created story structures that can help you if you're feeling incredibly intimidated with what to do. Yeah, and I, exactly so. It's that kind of coaching as you go through saying, well, what's a good narrative arc for this? What would your audience expect to be happening in each of these frames? And that lovely call to action, you know, in some ways, you know, there's, there's plenty to learn. I mean, I've seen plenty of e-learning that doesn't follow that discipline at all. And this is, like you say, an absolutely free tool that you can download right now and create a short video from it. 
Yeah, it, it's amazing. It is on my list of things that I recommend all the time. If someone wants to get more into media in the content they're creating and doesn't feel confident in that. That said, I have a degree in educational media and I still use it all the time. It, it's a really solid tool, whether you're new to media or really experienced. Well, Bianca, I'm sure you're going to have people after this wanting to find out more. And so come on, Bianca, tell us more. Tell us about other tools you use. or <laughs> Can we speak to you about this? Where can people find you? Uh, you can easily find me on Twitter. That's probably the best place to find me. Um, my account there is eGeeking, so E-G-E-E-K-I-N-G. Uh, I also have a resource website where I put a lot of links to the tools that I really enjoy, as well as some of the presentation materials I have. And that's at biancawoods.weebly.com. And I am always happy to talk design. Uh, to sh- I'm consistently sharing all the cool apps and tools that I find. Um, and I also have a Pinterest board on free design assets where um and you can look me up on Pinterest as Shiroiko, so S-H-I-R-O-I-K-O. That, that's fantastic. Well, Bianca, thank you so much again for your time today. And hopefully everyone will start creating beautiful things. Fantastic. Thanks for having me. Learning Now Radio. All the best news, reviews and interviews. Well, that's all we have for this episode. I hope you found some useful takeaways to jot down and use back at work. And please remember to share Learning Now Radio with your work colleagues, your Twitter followers, and of course, your Facebook friends. So once again, thank you so much for listening to Learning Now Radio. Please help us to spread the word by subscribing and rating us on iTunes. And Lisa and I look forward to you joining us in two weeks' time.